Radio Lucha. Radio Lucha is a podcast project produced by the Raza Press and Media Association. The goal of Radio Lucha is to provide a space for the voices of independent grassroots struggles for self-determination on the question of prisons, migrante rights, mujeres, education, media, community, politics, y cultura. Welcome, everybody, to a special podcast of Radio Lucha. And as you know, Radio Lucha is a project of the Raza Press and Media Association. We're going to be producing several shows, and right now you usually hear us every third Wednesday on our show called Cubole Raza, where we're talking with different individuals about politics, etc. Uh, today, though, we decided to, to go ahead and have this very special podcast to commemorate at least three things that we know are important and very close to, to us and as far as organizing. And, and, you know, we go out of our way sometimes to do these things because sometimes the voice of the people isn't heard. It's muffled out by the mass media. This is why the Raza Press and Media Association is playing a key and critical role in advancing our voices of struggle. Because whether it's not seen on CNN or on Fox, etc., we know that we're out there on the street struggling every day. We know that our communities are resisting the onslaught of, of repressive measures being targeted against our community. So so Radio Lucha is that uh, space that we're trying to provide. And we want our listeners to know that um, if you have ideas as far as the show, etc., cetera, uh, topics, please get a hold of us. You know, you could check out our website, rasapressassociation.org. You could also find us always on Facebook. And these are ways you could communicate because we want to be the space where our communities and resistencia are able to voice their struggles so for others to learn about what's going on in and around Aslan and beyond. So on this show of Radio Lucha, we wanted to take a moment to commemorate the 41st Chicano Moratorium. And for those of you that don't know, uh, 41 years ago, on August 29th, 1970, over 30,000 Raza that had come out to Islos to march on the streets and gather at a park to protest the atrocities of the Vietnam War. And in particular, the disproportionate number of Raza that were dying in the front lines. It was on this date where, under the pretext of looking for somebody uh, that had stolen some merchandise from a local liquor store, allegedly, had ran into the park, the Los Angeles Sheriff's Department came in, hundreds and hundreds of them, and brutalized our community that had gathered at the parque that was Laguna Park, which is now named Ruben Salazar Park. And the reason it's named Ruben Salazar Park is because on that day, on August 29, 1970, the police assassinated at least three people, Angel Diaz, Lynn Ward, and yes, our comrade media worker from the Los Angeles time, up-and-coming media activist and writer, Ruben Salazar. So we want to take the time to commemorate every year the Chicana Moratorium. It is a day that's very important for Raza on this side of the border. So that's why we're taking a moment to dedicate this show, Radio Lucha, to the comrades that have fallen on August 29, 1970. And for those that uphold the same banner today, Que Viva el Moratorio Chicano. And also today on Radio Lucha, the special show, uh, podcast, we wanted to congratulate and felicitar, como decimos, con un abrazo revolucionario, to our compañeros y compañeras here in Chiques who have been holding it down for one year on the commemoration of El Colectivo, Todo Poder al Pueblo. It was one year ago that the comrades gathered and decided to fight and defend our community against the onslaught of police abuse and migra repression and deportations here in the city of Chiques. So felicidades compañeros from, y compañeras from the Colectivo Todo Poder al Pueblo. La lucha sigue. And finally, today's Radio Lucha special podcast is dedicated in commemorating 
30 years of organized struggle for national liberation of Union del Barrio, which just recently celebrated at a dinner awards reception in San Diego Califas at the Centro Cultural de la Raza. We also want to extend un abrazo fraternal y revolucionario to our comrades. And I say comrades because myself and the producer Luis Moreno here of the Raza Press Media Association are members of Union del Barrio. We've been organizing with Union del Barrio for 15 years. Our guest, though, today has been organizing with Union del Barrio for over 25 years, as a matter of fact. And it was at that same dinner that I just mentioned where our compañero guest, Pablo Aceves, received an award that only two people, himself and comrade Ernesto Bustillos, have received for organizing as militantes of Union del Barrio for over 25 years. So it is an honor to have our guest, Pablo Aceves. Kiwule Pablo, how you doing, my brother? Hey, compañero, ¿cómo estás? ¿Qué tal, canal? Aquí nomás, holding Good it down. Good to hear from you. Good to hear from you. Orale. How's everything going down there in the sur? Uh, fighting it. You know, we got we got gatekeeper, we got, uh, you know, militarized communities, we got ICE, but we're still standing strong, luchando, uh, you know, getting ready for some things, including a walk against uh, El Muro de la Muerte, which is going to be on December 10th, that's I'm sorry, December 8th, that's a Saturday, a caminata, to raise funds for Unión del Barrio and also to bring awareness to the Muro de la Muerte and all its victims, all the raza who died uh, over the last years since Operation Gatekeeper in 1994. We want this genocidal thing to stop. That's right, that's right. And, uh, and that week falls on the uh, what people call the International Human Rights Day, where there's supposedly this charter that nations are supposed to follow. But uh, as we know, U.S. imperialism is... Uh, you know, put that in the sea file that they say a long time ago, you know, they trashed it. They weren't thinking of us when they wrote it, but we're going to show that the United States is the biggest violator of human rights in the world. All right, Carnal. Well, check it out, man. You know, we thank you for taking some time to uh, do a little interview here. We're doing a special podcast for Radio Lucha, a, a, uh, a project of the Raza Press and Media Association. So we wanted to get into our questions uh, for this evening regarding our topic, which is the 30th commem commemoration of the uh, Union del Barrio struggle and, and the advancement for liberation. So can you first please, uh, you know, introduce yourself to our listeners and uh, and, and talk to a little bit about yourself and the community organizing work that you're doing right now? Pablo Aceves, I'm from uh, San Diego, Califas, of course, uh, born and raised. I uh, joined Union del Barrio in 1987. Uh, Unión del Barrio, as everyone knows, was formed in 1981 by a group of Raza veteran activists from the, what we know as the Chicano power period of struggle. Uh, and uh, I joined in 1987. A lot of my work's been around Migra, police brutality, human rights, uh, questions in the community, economic justice, social justice, uh, and advancing self-determination for our gente and the understanding this is our tierra. Uh, what we're doing right now, a lot of my work has been concentrated in the community of Barrio Logan, which is a very famous comunidad in, in San Diego. Uh, it's where you find the very famous Chicano Park, uh, and that, that little piece of liberated tierra. And uh, what, uh, what we've been doing a lot is trying to organize against the raids, also organizing against gentrification with the, uh, with the coalition that we've been part of called Save Our Barrios to... Uh, you know, stop not only the attacks on our gente, but also the ethnic cleansing of, of our barrios, which is going on not only here, but I know it's happening in Chiques and other places as well. It's just one more attack on Raza and working class communities. 
So Unión del Barrio was formed in 1981. Um, what what were the realities, you know, the conditions of that period, you know, what people called the decade of the Hispanic, right, the 80s? You know, can you talk a little bit about about uh, the yeah. conditions in which Unión del Barrio was born out of? Yeah, and I think that's important because I got involved in the movement in, in 1985, joined Unión in 1987. If you look around, uh, 1981 was... In a lot of ways, very similar to uh, to today, in that you know, you know, on the one hand, uh, the whole liberation politics, supposedly, uh, the entire um, you know movement that had started in the '60s, the Black Power, Brown Power, uh, American Indian Movement, también, was in you know was in full retreat, supposedly. Uh, the decade of the Hispanic, you know, came after the military defeat of the movimiento, and it was a uh, it was an attempt to um, it was an attempt to basically stifle our uh, our growth and progress and also to brainwash our people into a Hispanic or a European identity. And so Unión del Barrio is forming that and saying Chicano power y que, and, and really coming out strong in defense of, of those principles and self-determination was very significant at a time when everybody really, literally thought we were crazy. That's right. You know, by by all intents and purposes, you know, Barrio organizing and self-determination oriented politica and organizing in the barrios was was deemed, uh, you know, uh, not anything that was a, a good tactic or a strategy at that point. You know, a lot of people had abandoned it, you know, on top of the yeah. military defeat. What are, what other types of, of like countermeasures were employed by by the state to to derail the movimiento? You know, I think, number one, the trying to discredit uh, Russia politics and self-determination politics. Not only by the right wing, not only by people, you know, joining the corporate establishment who have been in the movimiento, but also people who abandoned basically barrio organizing, raza self-determination organizing, the, 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 the type of organizations like the Brown Berets and other, you know, militant organizations. And those that, you know, wanted to be militant, a lot of them gravitated to what we know as the white left or the North American left, which basically their analysis of uh, revolutionary struggle was was devoid or without uh, any kind of um, you know self determination politics from what they call the oppressed nationalities which we know as the colonized people. So it was very much like you know well us are all working class and everything's going to be cool when we you know all have working class struggle, but not a real understanding of the realities of Mexicanos of, of Africans within this prison of nations. So that was that was another way, and you still see people to this day. Who hold that the Nano activists who basically abandoned a, a raza or a, a Chicano Mexicano identity for may have maybe more what we call an amorphous, uh, you know, just we are the world type identity that really doesn't contemplate raza politics and struggle. Right now, you know, you, earlier you said that there was a, a parallel, you know, uh, a parallel uh, reality uh, that you could describe that was happening during the 80s and now. Uh, with, for example, the these elections that are coming up next year, you know, how how was how were how was the electoral process um, yeah. used maybe to to derail the movement during that period? Reagan had just gotten elected, right? Um, you know, the ultra right. You know, I, I remember Chairman O'Malley used to tell us in the African People's Socialist Party calling him the white man on the white horse. You know, uh, you know, there's like real anti-communist. Uh, you know, just right wing chauvinistic uh, USA, USA type of type of politics. Um, it, it's very important to note, too, this, this like rabid anti-communism and that extended everything with social justice. 
a lot of apathy about elections. So, you know, as usual, right? People don't vote because there's nothing to vote for. Um, also, this whole militarism, which we see today, and I think is even worse today. I mean, today, you know, back then people were talking about, well, what if, you know, war happens in places like El Salvador and things like that. Nowadays, it's a foregone conclusion. I mean, we, you know, we take war and we take people in the military. I know this thing in San Diego, which is a military town where it's just like pushed into us everywhere. And the baseball team down here, the Padres, wears camouflage fatigues on Sundays, you know. Uh, this this whole thing, I think, is doing things in ways that Reaganism couldn't have even contemplated. It's very, it's very scary, and it's and it's it's something that you know we have to really analyze. How do we how do we combat this militaristic bullshit that we have to deal with? Excuse my language, compa. <laughs> <laughs> well, no, man, you yeah. rightly you rightly so in 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 being uh, frustrated and 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 a move to to fight man you know it's it's really a, a yeah. matter of life and death really for our communities at this it point is. you know and it is and now and, and we see this as well i think for the first time since vietnam how Rasa africans poor poor working class people are just pushed into well i'm going to join the military because i want to have something to do and i need i want to be productive i want to do that and so now it's it's like so ingrained in everybody this militarism and the fact that there's two wars going on and who knows how many more and you know this 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 illegal attack on Libya and everything that, you know, and I think that in, in that case, it's worse. Uh, the system's gotten better at what they're doing. And I want to say this too, what, what it demands is it demanded back then is a very high level of organization and struggle, uh, by, by our community, by people who are thinking of joining the movimiento. Uh, we have to think of joining something and really being involved in it, being down for it and being disciplined and, and being about struggle. Eh, compañero, eh, how has Unión del Barrio evolved in, in these past 30 years, you know, in terms of its political program, its vision, its work, etc.? You know, what kind of what kind of uh, progress have you have you witnessed, you know, having that you have been uh, with the organization for uh, 25 years? Well, I would say, you know, that Unión del Barrio in a, in a lot of ways has, has advanced and has evolved. I mean, you know, when we... When I when I joined the organization, we were around. Um, we were a relatively small number, but very tight knit number of of forces. Uh, you know, activists, organizers. Um, I would say that you know, at the time that that I joined, we were, we had a nine point political program, which later in in 1993 became the 11 point political program, uh, which was the basis. And I think out of that, you know. We've, or they were the, I'm sorry, they were the nine points of unity and the 11 points of unity. And I think, you know, we've morphed into a rather a political program, which, you know, has kind of deepened some of the things that we've, we've, we've said. Um, understand that that was always the vision by the founders of Union del Barrio. So it's not like, you know, Union del Barrio had a vision to stay at this and to be local. That was always the vision. That was always the, the idea. In fact, uh, Union del Barrio, even in those days, did have a couple of forces in Riverside, uh, led by Compañera Elba Alvarez in those days, and also in Los Angeles, led by uh, Comrade uh, Juan Parino, who was also one of the founders. Um, you know that in in those days we had um, we had that you know that vision, and of course, even in the eighties, you know, we had discussions many times with the Rafaelita Party about the building of a, a vanguard type party or organization. Uh, our thought was together uh, with them and, and also with the Movimiento de Liberación Nacional. Um, at some point, you know, that, that didn't happen with those forces. Not, you don't have anything against 
not to say anything against them. Those are people that we very much cherish and value. But we decided to go forward uh, ourselves with that vision. In 1993, actually, we had, we put out that we were building towards a vanguard-type organization or party. Um, and then based on that, you know, led to the deepening of a lot of our political points, uh, some tremendous theoretical growth that we, you know, we wanted to do. Um, the, you know, the work that we did within, you know, structures like the Frente Nacional Chicano Mexicano, like the, um, the uh, National Chicano Moratorium Committee, which I had the privilege and the honor of being uh, chair of from 1995 to 1999 and contributing in that way. Um, you know, we're all geared toward building a national movement uh, in the occupied territories and building the kind of revolutionary party that could really lead us to revolution. Um, we, and, you know, it, and I think that over the last 10 years or so, uh, we've been concentrated on a couple of things. One is, you know, confronting the attacks our gente face on a day-to-day level with the mass-based organizing, with the participation coalitions, uh, the Southern California Immigration Coalition, in San Diego, the uh, Raza Rights Coalition, and some other things. You know, I know in, in uh, Oxnard, the Committee on Raza Rights, the Organizations to Stop Gang Injunctions, those kind of forces, and also building the party. Because there's one thing that we, we really do understand, you know, is that we cannot, you know, in, in, in years of trial and error, in, in, in the years, in the past years, there was always this struggle around theory and practice. And you'll find, and I hope this isn't too, you know, isn't off topic, but you'll find periods where we did a lot of theoretical work. Always had practice, but there were tremendous, you know, growth, growth of the organization theoretically. And then you can also find times where there was just a lot of practical work going on. I think we found uh, that balance that we need, we need to, the two need to go hand in hand, that we build theory off practice, but we also build practice off of theory. Um, and so in that expansion, you know, over the years we've we've now been able to, you know, support the forces in Oxnard. As I remember, uh, you compañeros came to us in 1995, and, you know, for a long time there was a few of you, but that were doing tremendous work. I've heard people say, you know, three doing the work of 30, and I have to say that was accurate. Uh I used to always love coming up and, and joining you in these pickets and protests and marches that you were doing and, you know, events. Um, the the forces in L.A., you know, for a long time, and I think internally in the organization, there was this whole struggle over, can it be done in L.A.? Can anybody organize in L.A.? Well, you know, the, the excellent compañeros that went up there who were from L.A. and some of them came to San Diego to to study and wanted to go back to L.A. and wanted to, you know, do that work in that area, which is, the biggest concentration of Rafa outside of Mexico City uh, did it. And if you look up in L.A. right now, we have thriving uh, forces, bosses doing youth work, doing uh, work in the schools and with the teachers, uh, with Are Association of Rafa Educators, which is something we're part of. And also, you know, the whole so-called immigration question, the harassing of our gente by, by the migra, by the police. Um, if you look at it, we've been able to blaze that trail. We've been able to form alliances. So it, it's um, that's a lot of the evolution is that not that we've, and, and this is what I want to be very clear about, because it's not that, you know, at one time we were content to be this and now we're that. The vision, when I joined in 1987 and the vision of the founding comrades was always 
this and then some uh, that we would do. And so that, that's, that's what we've seen, um, you know, as, as far as uh, how we've evolved over the, over the years. Excellent. Excellent. And, and in the context of, of this growth in the last 30 years, you know, surviving the decade of the Hispanic, uh, organizing through the 90s, building in the 90s, expanding into Los Angeles, uh, you know, now, in, in the context of continental struggles, you know, we've seen a lot of, of liberation or progressive struggles taking place in uh, south of the U.S. military imposed border on our on our territories. Um, right. how, 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 how is it that Union del Barrio is connected to the, the struggles in the south? Well, we, we've been able to connect over the years to, to a lot of different struggles. You know, uh, some of us, uh, you know, were able to, without me saying, you know, too much about where we've been, go to some places that a lot of people hadn't, and, and probably some of the first forces in the decade, I don't know if I can, you know, say this, to go, uh, you know, to go to certain places, to go different parts of America Latina. Obviously, you know, the, the things that we're hearing out of places like Venezuela, uh, the resistance that we're seeing in Cuba continuing. I mean, after, and, and this is important, too, because, you know, in the 80s, we came along, and, and actually because, you know, we have belt nationalism, revolutionary nationalism, some forces in what we know as the white left, I think, incorrectly and opportunistically labeled that we were anti-communist, labeled that we were, you know, anti-socialist and all this kind of stuff, that we were narrow nationalists, when it couldn't be further from the truth. We just understood, as Che said, as Fidel said, and as I think, you know, people like, you know, uh, some of the other great anti-colonial thinkers, that, you know, the anti-colonial struggle is, and the anti-capitalist struggle is best felt in the colonies. I think uh, Ho Chi Minh said that. And so our thing was always that we wanted self-determination for the movimiento. But an interesting thing happened, I think, when Cuba, you know, we were around in 89 when, when the collapse of the Soviet Union, and you saw just basically countries in Europe, you know, throwing off a proud history of socialism and of resistance and of workers' struggle and just going headlong into becoming capitalist pigs. Uh, and, you, and you see Cuba taking a stand, saying, you know what, that, that, that may be fine for you, and we don't think it's fine for you, but that's not going to solve our problems. You know? and, and, and it's funny because at that point, you saw a lot of people on the white left who called themselves friends of Cuba and called themselves all these things. You saw them jumping ship and talking about how Fidel needed to change, they needed to have quote-unquote elections. Well, Leon del Barrio, that was, a, that was a watermark for us because we, and I'm proud to say this, and I'm proud to say that I was around during that time and I was part of this, we said, hell no. You know, we said, you know what, we support Cuba now more than ever, and we support the struggle for socialism, and we've always been socialists, and now's the time to uphold socialism. Uh, now that, you know, now there's no more, you know, phoniness, and now we see, you know, Cuba, Democratic Korea, uh, the Republic of Vietnam, the People's Republic of Vietnam, you know, that was part of our legacy, so we, we saw that. Um, you know, decade of Hispanic, very difficult on us ideologically and repression-wise. Uh, you know, the, the decade of the 90s, you know, you had really this so-called, you know, you had the Clinton era, you had this time where people said, well, you know, it, it, we're beyond all that. Uh, some people that called themselves, the, you know, called themselves representatives of Zapatistas were beyond national struggle, were beyond this, we need a new globalized thing toward the end of that decade, the globalifobicos coming along, saying, well, 
you know, it's beyond national borders, beyond this. Now it's just people and kind of an anarchist tend to it. And then you have the 2000s, uh, which, you know, this decade, repression, I don't think it's ever been paralleled. I don't think things have ever, ever been this bad in in, in our history. Uh, you know, you have, you know, and not only that, not only is it repression in clubs, it's uh, it's a computer now with it. And it's, you know, the ability of the system to just do all these things and really a series of blistering attacks that we have to find a way to deal with. But for us, I think, you know, the fact that a lot of the things we said years ago are validated now. Our, our relationship to struggles in the South, you know, for many years, you know, we said, I mean, if you if you look at what we've written, I, I was privileged to, on behalf of the Union, with some other compañeros, we wrote a book called um, Stolen Revolution, which was about the Mexican Revolution and Raza Chicano perspective on the side of the imposed border. Um, that came out, and that was being written a couple of years before uh, the start of the Zapatista Rebellion. So we had, I mean, well before the Zapatistas, we had, um, we knew organizations south of the imposed border. We did work with organizations. We participated in things like demonstrations, uh, you know, campaigns for political prisoners and other actions, which probably a lot of people don't know about us, is that, you know, ourselves, and I think, uh, you know, there's a couple of the Raza Unida Party, I know, had contacts in the late 70s and the 80s, the Movimiento de Liberación Nacional also. So there was, there was a... There was a lot of us organizations, even when other people and ourselves too were working around Central America, because we did. Uh, we provided solidarity, of course, to El Salvador, and, and of course we supported Nicaragua uh, during those years. Um, also, the work in Mexico, which got a whole lot less publicity and a lot less press until the Zapatistas. Um, you know, we see, I think we see, and the jury's probably still out on the future, of what they're calling, you know, 21st century socialism in Latin America. Uh, a lot of good things, you know, every, everything that it proposes to do, and I'm talking about in places like Bolivia, in places like Venezuela, in places like Nicaragua, uh, in places like El Salvador to some degree, uh, even though it's kind of a coalition government and there's, you know, there's still things to be seen. Everything looks good and, and, and everything looks, looks strong. What, what I think has to be looked at, and I think that's something that, you know, Unión del Barrio, that's, that's an ongoing discussion with us, and it's not like there's a, there's a disagreement, but I think the, the discussion that has to take place everywhere on the so-called, what they call the left or among liberation forces is, uh, what happens if and what happens when? Uh, I think Libya is a clear example that, you know, the U.S. imperialism is not going to take this lying down. That eventually, you know, we're going to have to, we're going to come a reckoning with it, and it's really going to depend on how well we can articulate the positions, mobilize people uh, against the war, and it's going to take us mobilizing people against these attacks much better than anyone was able to mobilize people against the attacks on Iraq. And that's a, a self-critique and a critique on I think what's called the left in general, uh, much better than we're able to articulate uh, mobilizing against the whole attacks on Libya. I mean, there's still, you know, there's disagreement, and, and I don't want to veer off too much, but there's still people that disagree, and these are people that call themselves the left and call themselves progressives. There's still people that will sit here and tell you with a straight face that, you know, 
bombing Libya is good because uh, Gaddafi's a bad guy. You know, <laughs> so there has to be, and I'm not, you know, there has to be, um, I think, a stronger articulation of the position of anti-imperialism in the world and in America Latina. I think what, what really worries me the most is what U.S. imperialism is capable of. I mean, I, I lived through the Grenada invasion in 1983, saw the Panama invasion in 1989. So, you know, I think that what's what's helped for us is Venezuela is that Venezuela is a mobilized people. Uh, and, and hopefully, you know, we'll see that if America Latina can mobilize itself. And really, I think that in 2012, the whole question of the elections in Mexico is going to be is going to be key. Um, you know, you see right now, six years ago, Andres Manuel Lopez Obrador, and this is not a position of total endorsement or support for him, but, you know, the candidate that was somewhat against the neoliberal model wins an election and does not get to take office, even with 65, 70% of the vote. Um, that's a coup d'etat by, by any, by any definition. Uh, now you have the imposed president, Felipe Calderon, the Washington imposed individual starting a so-called war against narcos, uh, which is killing the whole population and trying to cow everybody into submission. And so now in, in 2012, on this, on what they call, known as the left, you know, you have Marcelo Ebrard, who's being put up as the alternative because he's so quote unquote sensible. And because he's so, you know, not Lopez Obrador, he's not going to do So it's really, the task is going to be, I think, as we talk about the southern half of, of Mexico or, you know, of our, of our gente, uh, that whole struggle coming forth, people may be questioning the electoral paradigm again. Uh, you know, and I, I think that's, that's, a, that's the question here, too, is that, you know, we have Obama who's going to run again and we're going to have the same Democratic Party people we're going to try to like ignore us when we talk about the fact that he's deported more people than Bush. What are we going to do? What's the alternative we're going to present? What is the articulation of that alternative going to be? That's a question for us. That's a question for forces south of the imposed border. And that's going to be a question for a lot of people in the world. Yeah, you're, you're, you're right on with, with the, with that analysis of this, the importance to have these conversations, right, and and moving yeah. forward with some of these organizing efforts to, to question, you know, this period that we're in and what we're gonna do to survive. What are we gonna do to survive? You know, this onslaught of attacks all over the world, in particular here against our communities and in, in the south as well. I think, I think Unión del Barrio plays that important role, having that we have survived the thirty years yeah. and and grown is what do we need to do to advance even more? What do we need and, to and do that, and where and how we're going to do it? Definitely. And that's, and that's a discussion that, you know, a lot of people don't want to have in, I think, a lot of forces. I think one thing I think is that we're capable of carrying out that discussion. And I think that's, that's one of the things that we, we have been doing and we have to, we have to step up is, is you know, there's a, there's a whole section on, and I know that, this might be, I don't want to say it's off topic, but it's a little bit, it's, it's very timely, I think. I just want to inject, interject it in there. Right now, with the attacks that are happening, there's a whole plethora of discussion about tactics and strategies. You know, we, we have people, and, and, and one of the things that I've seen the movement doing, and it's, it's going to be really up to us as Unión del Barrio to, to, to really discuss this, you know, is 
and and have this dialogue with the comunidad because we're organizing a lot of people. Um, I've noticed, I know, in the last 10 years, there's been a lot of, and, and when I say the last 10 years, I'm talking about post 9-11 and the, the fascism that's coming down and everything. There's this whole, you know, school of thought, and, and some of it's run by honest people, and some of it, I have to say, is run by elements in our community who are who are less than honest and have certain interests, you know, be they Democratic Party, be they the nonprofit, whatever it is. But there's a there's a there's a real tendency toward what we call economicism, which is you know, well, you know, we we, we can't talk about all those other things. We we have to just talk about them not raiding this block today, right? You know, so we have, we have to just talk about about the fact that we want them to leave this block and not take anybody's cars. You know, we have we got to tie this into the whole struggle. No, 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 we can't do that because then we'll lose these allies. Or then we'll do this. So what you have, you know, is a lot of confusion among our heads. I mean, it's, it's very common, right, these days for someone to be against the raids, right, but to support our troops, quote-unquote. You know, so, so the problem is, yes, you know, we, we do something important, which is we struggle against the raids, there's a second part, which is, are we trying to build a national liberation movement? Are we trying to change our relationship to the means of production and the rest of the world? And, and, and what happens is when we, when we, how would I say this, when we fight for someone's rights without raising their consciousness, that is reformism. And that's a discussion that I think we all have to have in, in, in the movement. You know, that's, that's, and then not, not just us, I don't think, you know, we're unclear about it, but there's forces out there that we, that we contend with, that we work with, good forces, right, and they're not, not, not messed up forces or anything, good forces, but that is a discussion, that, that's, you know, that's how things come out, you know, unity is not the lack of debate, that's, that's really important, unity is not the absence of debate, unity is the agreement to debate, debate with principle and to struggle things out, to to not to agree to disagree that's 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 petty beast stuff or, or nonsense you know to agree to disagree but it's really to come to agreement where we can and to do work where we can and to understand where we can't and be able to respect points of view but also to have the forum to debate those questions yes yes definitely and so so it's been 30 years compañero uh 30 years yep. and marching and and you know i'm fortunate and happy to say that myself uh joining 15 years ago have have learned a lot you know with the day-to-day -day, uh political development the day-to-day -day work the day-to-day -day struggle the day-to-day -day sacrifice you know that we all are doing to to advance you know our our our, our vision of what what we want to see for for the future of our communities you know and and so we want to commend you compañero and and congratulate uh, you and uh, and this receiving the aguila um award uh guerrero aguila for 25 years man of of putting it down with with the organization uh with our organization Unión del Barrio and you know I want to end by just you know saying if you have any final comments for our listeners uh we we have listeners from here to you know the east coast and back and international um any final comments for, for our, our listeners for today? I do, actually, Camarada. It's, uh, it's been an honor to work with you these 15 years. And I, and I say you in particular and, and you, 
the compañeros from Oxnard that that we've known. Uh, but I, I had to say that. I mean, I know recently you and I took a trip up to Modesto to talk about some some touchy subjects of unity, and that was that was a great a great time that we were able to do um, that we were able to do it. I you know I um, I was honored to receive the Caballero Aguila. Uh, I would not have spent the last 25 years any other way with any other people. Um, I, you know, I, I look back and, and the only regret I have maybe is, is not doing more. Uh, I, I do want to say that, you know, I, what I'm looking at as well is, is the future. And the future, I think, looks better than some people think it does. I'm not saying that the attacks we face aren't the worst. I'm not saying that, you know, that, that things aren't horrible, because they are horrible. But, you know, I think that with what we're trying to do, the reason that I'm optimistic and the reason I can be positive is because, you know, the only way that things are going to change is through organization. Uh, and a lot of people, you know, don't see that yet or, or are, not, are not up on that. I think that, you know, our struggle and our, and our, um, our you know, our, our task really is that we be even more disciplined, we be even more organized, but furthermore, that we be even more militant and more audacious. You know, there's a lot of people that tell us, well, we got to change tactics, we got to be quiet and everything. I think we have to step it up. And, and, I, and I have to say, every time I go to Oxnard, uh, it is great to see you, Compass, because you have such a great spirit. I mean, I love, I literally love driving up there. I'm, one of my New Year's resolutions, I'm going to do it a lot more. Um, you know, I, I look at the future. I look at the fact that, you know, we have people that have stepped into roles and, and, you know, I've seen three generations now do it. And I hope to see many more. Uh, Union del Barrio is, is, is struggling and is, is going, is moving ahead with a plan that will build us the kind of vanguard party we need. And we know there's no, there's no shortcuts, but, you know, there's no shortcuts. We, we need a, a revolutionary party. We need a um, we need a movement that can lead us to liberation and that can change the course of history for us and for everybody. Uh, but I think we can, and I just will say um, I want to thank you, compañeros, for having me on the on the show. It's always an honor and a privilege, and I just want to say hasta la victoria siempre. Nothing can stop us if we're organized. Right on, my brother. Muchas gracias y venceremos. Venceremos. Así que te hablo. All right, that was Pablo Aceves, our guest, discussing 30 years of commemorative struggle with Unión del Barrio. And before we leave you with some music, we did want to share with you a short excerpt from our Unión del Barrio vision. It's an introduction. Uh, to read the entire program, you're going to have to go ahead and visit us at uniondelbarrio.org. But here's a short audio clip of what we want to share with you. The Political Program of Unión del Barrio, a program for political direction, consciousness raising, and liberation struggle. Introduction. Historically, Unión del Barrio has been among the few raza organizations that actively attempts to stay ahead of ever-changing local, national, and world conditions as they relate to our communities within the current borders of the United States. Though we have evolved over time, we remain committed to the fundamental objective of winning the complete liberation of all raza, from Chile to Alaska, 
as well as supporting struggles for self-determination of the world's oppressed peoples and nations. We are La Raza, the people of these lands, and we reject and challenge any and all manifestations of colonial, imperialist, and neoliberal oppression. Our use of the term La Raza is understood as meaning the people and encompasses the entire population of Nuestra America. It is a progressive term that unites our cultural, ethnic, gender, and racial diversity with the common aspirations of indigenous and Latin American nations. Used together, La Raza of Nuestra America represents our transcontinental unity as a people sharing a similar political condition, culture, history, and class interest. The struggle of Union del Barrio is one part of an indigenous resistance across North and South America, from Alaska to Tierra del Fuego, with politically imposed borders that primarily serve the interests of an international capitalist elite currently led by United States imperialism. Union del Barrio is a revolutionary organization of disciplined and honest individuals committed to advancing the science, strategy, and organizational structure necessary to overturn our oppression towards the liberation of Mexico and Nuestra America. What remains is our long-range task of building a party capable of winning recognition from the majority of La Raza, who accept our efforts as representative of a path to a better future. We work tirelessly to unify the collective power of Raza workers, women, educators, students, barrio youth, indigenous communities, and prisoners into a single, strong, and sustainable social movement for self-determination. One of the principal shortcomings of our movement during the Chicano power period, roughly from 1965 to 1975, was the absence of a coherent ideology. This political weakness made organizations and individual activists susceptible to self-serving interpretations of our struggle. Debates framed the movement as one for civil rights, as an auxiliary to white workers, or based only on developing an identity within the United States. Deeper questions and challenges to the movement went unanswered by the political programs of the time, and this ideological frailty hindered organizational consolidation and led to the burnout, dropout, or sellout of many strong activists. Furthermore, this made our movement more susceptible to state-sponsored infiltration and repression. We live in a time where change is constant, crisis is permanent, and nothing is static. Opportunists argue that the most pressing struggle is to accommodate and assimilate to change as defined to us by United States imperialism. For Union del Barrio, it has not been a simple matter of adapting our principles to current conditions. But holding fast to our political program, which illuminates the enduring principles of revolutionary struggle. While exploitation, neocolonialism, and imperialist aggression continue to exist, our priority is to expand our work, sharpen our ideology, and further consolidate Union del Barrio as a revolutionary organization. This is what we have done since our formation, and what we will continue to do as part of the liberation struggle in Mexico and Nuestra America. This is our contribution to the worldwide struggle to end the subjugation and repression of the vast majority of people on the planet Earth. Since our founding in 1981, 
Unión del Barrio has understood the need for a political program capable of guiding our movement. For this reason, we have expanded, refined, and enriched our political program, bringing us closer to building a vanguard party necessary to assume a leading role as part of the liberation struggle of Mexico and Nuestra America. One of Unión del Barrio's principal contributions to the Chicano movement has been the development of an ideology that speaks to the immediate needs of our communities. With this political program, we address the realities of La Raza and provide a vision for the urgent defense of our rights and interests within the present boundaries of the United States. Furthermore, this political program embraces and advances our connection to the rest of Latin America, as well as defines our relationship to all oppressed and colonized peoples on this planet. In a revolutionary organization, effective collective action comes from a cohesive ideology and subsequently requires a political program capable of guiding our organizational efforts towards freedom and self-determination. This political program represents our principles of unity, the anchor of our theory and practice, and serves as a guide for organizational leadership, structures, and members involved in day-to-day -day struggle. All right, so that was a short little clip of the general introductory program and vision of Unión del Barrio. We're going to be leaving you with a song called uh, Mexican Power by Proper Dos. But before we do that, like we always do on Radio Lucha and any of our shows, want to give thanks to our guest, Pablo Aceves, our producer, Luis Moreno of the Raza Press and Media Association. And I am your host, Francisco El Chavo Romero. So here we go. You know, this song that we're going to leave you with came out during the height of the attacks against Raza here in California in particular with racist laws that governor, then Governor Pete Wilson was throwing down. And when this song came out, it just ignited a, a lot of political consciousness because, you know, music does carry and can be used as a weapon to raise consciousness. So this song came out in the height of that. It's called Mexican Power with Proper Dos. Mexican power, that's the name of this gun, man. You get something with it, hit the stop and check break. Cause I ain't shocked enough for no one, now I've seen it so. Remember me, the local troller going solo when I'm back with a new rap. Show was a fuck that. All we can do is dance around a motherfucking hat. But you a dead one, those days are wrong. Cause my people are coming up and we're coming up strong. And if you don't believe me, fool, well, that's on you. But don't come crying saying I didn't warn you. Cause it's dead in your face, the power of my race. Press through the microphone as Ernie G draws bass. Critics in the place, it's crazy.
But I'm not starting a fight. You know I'd rather unite with the ones who want us to respect our friends. Well, fuck all the other motherfuckers who try to down us or think they can crown us. But I'll just cry and send them home crying, singing deal of a clown. Cause I ain't staying down for another day. Cause me and my people ain't going out that way. I'm gonna stand up tall and proud and never cower. But I'm not Superman. It's called Mexican power. Mexican power. And I'm very proud of that. Very proud of that. It's called Mexican power. 